When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. the great Al in White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report here on Wednesday, October 17th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you do miss the live show, you can catch the replay the rest of the week. We'll also be back on Monday next week at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, found on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, or at LondonBridge.com. This week, we're all over the MLB playoffs, week six of the NFL season and week seven in college football with commentary on the biggest surprises and storylines from Saturday and Sunday, a rundown of our picks in this week's six-pack segment, and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in sports. Why should week six of the NFL, week seven of college football, and the NLCS and ALCS provide us with anything different? Shockingly enough, yet again for this show, we can talk baseball to start the show, which may be surprising to those football fans, but let's be honest, right now, baseball actually matters, and... One of our favorite shows on Mad Dog Sports Radio, The Morning Men, actually posed an interesting question today, being Tuesday night when we're recording, they were on Tuesday morning, and said, what would you rather as a sports fan, or what would you rather watch if you were in the situation that, say, Milwaukee or the like was in on Monday night, where you had to either watch the Brewers play in Game 3 of the NLCS or the Packers play against the 49ers in Monday night football, when the game doesn't have maybe as much pull, or you could argue that maybe it does. I would say right now, over all sports, baseball is the most important We just saw today the Houston Astros fall behind the Boston Red Sox, maybe shockingly, 2-1 in their ALCS. Currently, the NLCS game is being played, but we can start in the AL, maybe a little begrudgingly so. We haven't really had a chance to rant and rave about what happened with the New York Yankees dealing with that, but as of right now, Boston goes up 2-1. They take one game in Houston, they're sitting pretty good right now heading into game four. Well, the, the surprising part, John, is that they have done it in the way that you thought they wouldn't be able to do it, uh, which is the pitching uh, avenue. Uh, everybody gave the Astros the advantage with the starting pitching. Uh, they thought the Yankees had the advantage with the starting pitching when it went back to Yankee Stadium. It won all with uh, your alleged ace, young Mr. Severino on the mound. We know what happened there. One of the ugliest nights in Yankee postseason history as he got knocked all over the yard and Evaldi threw a gem. Uh, and then they came back and finished your, your team off the next night with uh, Porcello and the, uh, the bullpen. And 
then sale gives them a decent start. Uh, clearly not the sale that we've come to know, but a decent start. They win game one at home. Um, they, uh, excuse me, they, uh, they're even game one at home and, uh, the bullpens falter and it's tight for a while. And then they fall apart late, but then they bounce right back. Uh, you know, another mediocre start for David price, but their bullpen that has been a problem does a great job and they battle and they battle and win game two. And then today they go into Houston and, uh, you know, tight game for a while, but the bullpen falters again. And, uh, why AJ Hinch goes to his closer in the top of the eighth in a one run game is just absolutely beyond me. The Red Sox get another excellent start from, from Nathan Avaldi. Um, he leaves with a three, two lead and AJ Hinch goes to, you know, his closer or sooner in the top of the eighth with a one run lead. And he just completely loses it, completely loses it. Hits a couple guys to force in a run. Grand slam from Jackie Bradley Jr. Game, set, match. Red Sox now up two games to one. They've guaranteed that they'll go back to Fenway. A lot of people thought it wouldn't get back there after there was a split. And tomorrow they'll throw Porcello, who's been outstanding in the postseason. So uh, the team that you thought had the great pitching advantage hasn't, doesn't, and now is defending champs are uh, up against the wall a little bit. Not a must-win situation tomorrow, but who likes going down 3-1? Nobody. So, you know, young Mr. Bregman and his primetime Strohs uh, better start knocking the ball around the ballpark a little bit or uh, they're going to be down 3-1. Uh, very interesting the way that series has turned and turned quick. And you know, we're in the middle of, uh, you know, this series here with, uh, you know, after you thought advantage Dodgers after game two when they come back. Uh, they get shut out last night at home for nothing. Uh, the Ismani Grandal struggles, woes continue. Uh, he's finally out of the lineup after leaving, you know, a boatload of people on again last night. Uh, single-handedly, maybe the worst postseason player I've ever seen this side of Nick Swisher. Uh, Roberts continued to go with him, and he cost them dearly game after game after game. And uh, we'll see if the Dodgers can rebound tonight. Well, of course, Jackie Bradley Jr. would have a postseason grand slam. Everybody had that penned into their predictions before the postseason started and the ALCS started. You can predict baseball Susan, as the great John Sterling would say. And just quickly on the Yankees, I'm sure everyone is tuned in to hear what my thoughts would be about that series in general against the Boston Red Sox. The funny part to me is when you take a step back and look at the series as a whole, two of the losses by one run. Incredibly disappointing. If you just look at it on paper, two losses by just one run. No home runs for the Bronx Bombers, as they're known, in their home stadium for either of the two games. Collapses all over the place, both by the starting pitching and by the hitting. Giancarlo Stanton, welcome to New York. Welcome to the postseason one of the worst postseason starts and shows that you can put on in the pinstripes. Very unfortunate for him is 
in baseball, the guy that's struggling, the guy that you don't want up at the plate always comes up at the moment that you don't want him necessarily up in. And sure enough, the ninth inning in a do-or-die game, two guys on, here comes Giancarlo Stanton. One pitch, two pitch, three pitch, four, strikeout. And not surprising in the sense I was joking that at least he didn't hit into a double play. But you'll get this in the postseason, and especially in five-game series, where you have to rely on certain guys, you have to put the ball in play, you have to play small ball, you have to do things that maybe you didn't do in 162 games I don't think the Yankees were built for that. I think it was the regular season numbers, and that was it. I'm not going to put it all on Stanton. Well, no, you can't. But unfortunately for him, look at the spot that he came up in. They didn't pitch well. Nobody really hit. They didn't hit in the clutch. They had plenty of guys on base. And look, they came back here 1-1 with their ace on the mound. And they got embarrassed in their own building. Absolutely pummeled. Their manager froze. It made history. He stayed, he, he stayed with the he stayed with the young ace too long, and before you knew it, that game was over. Had nothing to do with Stanton. Had to do with the fact that their best pitcher spit the bit. Their manager didn't get him out quick enough. Did not manage the game with enough of a sense of urgency, and that was it. And that was all. And then pretty much the same thing next night with CC Zabathia. Stayed with him too long. And so, yeah, look. You know, they kicked Joe Girardi to the corner. So there are an awful lot of people like yours truly who were thrilled to see the Yankees go not as far this year as they did last year without Joe Girardi. So uh, I I have to say, despite the fact that it was their team, has nothing to do with the players. Um, I don't like the way the organization treated Joe Girardi. and I'm glad that they wound up falling short this year from where they finished last year. Because last year it was a huge surprise. Young team, up and coming. You know, one game from the World Series. Uh, they don't want to pay him. They don't want to give him a new contract. They hire Boone from the booth. And, you know, they get off to a great start. But they do not keep up with the Red Sox, who are great all year long. And as a result, you know, they draw the wild card. They win the wild card game. They draw the Sox, who had the best season. And the Sox played like the better team that they were all year long. And you know, your squad's home. Look at their wounds. You know, needing pitching. Uh, you know, your guru at the top really never should have made the Stanton trade to begin with because it was wholly unnecessary. They needed starting pitching. Uh, you know, I said it then. I still say it. They should have traded for Garrett Cole. Uh, would he have been as good as he was in Houston? I have no idea. But it would be would have been a hell of a lot better than what you got. And you just didn't need Stanton. He's a terrific player. But, you know, so what do you, instead of 103, you win 98 games without him? You know, it's fine. You know, or, or 96 games instead of 100 games. You know, Stanton was not the guy they had to go, and now they're stuck with that contract. Right. Think he's going to opt out? Seriously doubt it. Well, quickly. They're going to be able to send Manny Machado now? Maybe. Maybe. Wouldn't surprise me. Go and spend another $35 million on a right-handed hitter. Sure. Why not? Quickly on the Joe move, and I think, unfortunately for Joe Girardi, that is, folks, he fell 
prisoner to the somebody has to take the blame for this, and he's been the manager for almost a decade. He'll be the guy. Not to say that he wasn't a good manager, and I don't know if the rustlings and rumors were true of, oh, he can't control the younger guys in the clubhouse, and they don't necessarily listen to what he has to say. I don't know if any of that was true. I didn't hate Joe Girardi as the manager, and I wouldn't have hated if he came back because we are now in a position in Major League Baseball with the more successful teams, and you've seen this as well, where the GM, the higher-ups, the quote-unquote nerds, as the fans like to call them, more or less run the teams, which means if you're going to put blame on anyone for the Yankees losing in the first round, the person you have to put blame on is the person that probably wants to take the blame that's Brian Cashman. He's the guy that made all these moves. He's the guy that's been putting these teams together, and they haven't been the best of teams sometimes. He seems to have a, a blueprint of what he thinks a team should look like, and he's kind of been following that for the past several years. Clearly, it's not working out the best. Brian in North Carolina, shout out to him, had a decent point on Mad Dog Sports Radio with the Morning Men and said, if you take away the 2009 World Series that the Yankees won, pretty much because they bought the best free agents at the time in CC Sabathia, A.J. Burnett, and Mark Teixeira, A-Rod had an out-of-his-mind postseason to help them win that as well. They pushed all the right buttons monetarily-wise. But if you take that away, it's been a long 17, 18 years if you look at his tenure after the core four we won the three out of four years. Maybe it's time that that's what got shaken up. It might not be the manager. It might be the guy pressing all the buttons. I don't know not who else not is going to come in it's and, and fix that, but, I mean, it might, never be, time. It might be time never to look happened. at it, Al. Look, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I think Brian Cash is one of the most overrated general managers in the history of the sport. Okay, He's got the largest eraser in, in life. All the mistakes he's made over the years, and there's been plenty of them. There's been some awful signings. Kei Higawa, right out of the box, jumps off, jumps off the off the paper at you. He has spent small fortunes on bums, absolute bums who've been useless to the organization. But you know he's got an unlimited pocketbook. He has coffers that are bigger than anybody else's. So when he makes a mistake, he just takes out that big pencil and he erases it. And he spends money on somebody else. Uh, he's always been able to do that. Uh, it, when you have an unlimited amount of resources to work with, you can go and get whatever you want. You know, you, you, you can shop till you drop. And he's done it many a time. And some of it's worked out, some of it hasn't. You know, because no matter how good a team you put on the field, it's still hard to win. And that's not his fault. Right? It's still hard to be the guys who come through at crunch time in the postseason. It's still hard to be the guys who make the big pitches in the postseason uh, or be the guys who are hot at the right time. That's a very hard mesh to have. Last year, they came very close. And what they've done is, to his credit, is they've done a great job with player development and scouting, and now their minor league system is one of the best in baseball. But in terms of free agency acquisitions over the years, They've had a lot of misses. They've had some hits, and they've had a lot of misses, but he has the luxury of being able to spend a lot of money 
and have it be worth absolutely nothing in terms of getting bang back for your buck and still be able to go out and do it again and keep his job. Well, recording on Tuesday night, we can't have too much fun yet in predicting who's going to get to the World Series because it is early. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So we can move to, for the first time in the show, talking Monday night football just one day removed from the action. What surprised me about the Packers 49ers game? The Packers didn't look very good. I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn, but to have to come down to the end against the 49ers, not the best look. I I don't know what there is to be surprised about with the Packers. When has the Packers' defense been any good? When was the last time the Packers' defense was any good? I don't know if they've ever been something that you could say, wow, they were great. Even when they won the Super Bowl, they weren't the best part of the team, I don't think. It's been a long time since the Packers had the kind of defense that you could rely on to get stops. Now I understand everybody can throw, throws the ball over the field. Everybody has offense for the most part, but that defense has been miserable for years. He's almost always, he, the great Aaron Rodgers is almost always seemingly playing from behind, right? They never seem to get ahead for an extended period of time because their defense can't stop a strong wind. And you know, last night was no exception. Any other game from Sunday that truly surprised you? What I found to semi-answer that question is after Sunday's games in week six, it's very hard to believe in any team fully. (laughs) Aside from the Chiefs didn't look half bad and still losing to the New England Patriots by a field goal toward the end, You figure Patrick Mahomes, his first action against Tom Brady, he's going to make some mistakes. They're going to struggle a little bit. And they ended up coming back and just losing by three. The Rams look great against the Denver Broncos in a game I thought was going to be a snow out that was going to give the Broncos a chance. Turns out they swept all the snow away before the game even started, and it didn't make make a difference at all. I just took a step back from this week and said, you know, even these teams that we rode off in a sense before week three have come back to maybe get to three and three some of the teams that started off hot and you thought maybe this is their year not the case this was kind of a week where you look back at the whole league and go wow we really don't know a lot about a handful of these teams more than a handful of these teams in the national football league i mean parody rules and that's nothing new. Uh, the, the only real difference to me is that, you know, in, in the American League, you, the American Conference, excuse me, um, you just don't have the dominant team you're used to seeing. Uh, New England is, is good. They're probably not going to be great. Uh, Pittsburgh has been struggling. They won a huge game against Cincinnati. Uh, and you think that they will be back in the division fight with the Ravens and Cincinnati after a slow start. Um, Seattle is not what they've been, obviously, despite the fact that they're playing well 
and throttled the Raiders uh, on Sunday and are playing uh, a lot better than a lot of people expected. Uh, San Diego, who a lot of people liked, including me, is set by just a, a rash of injuries, but playing well. But a, a great team, clearly not. And the team that everybody had anointed that we all thought would be the team, uh, you know, just goes into Dallas and gets absolutely blown out of the building 40-7. And now that's two straight horrific performances by Jacksonville uh, because they got, you know, as you know, absolutely toasted last week by Kansas city. So these are two straight games that the best defense in football got absolutely lit up. Uh, and uh, their, their offense couldn't answer. So it, it is completely up for grabs in the AFC. Uh, it's the race to 13 wins as far as I'm concerned by Kansas city and new England for home field. And then the road goes through there. The rest of it is just completely up for grabs. I mean, the Ravens, you know, they go into Tennessee and they have 11 sacks and shut up the Titans the week before they lose, the, they lose to the Browns. Uh, you know, you just, you have no idea what's going on in this conference from week to week. Uh, you know, the Dolphins give a game away against Cincinnati and then with their backup quarterback, uh, you know, come back and beat the Bears you know, in overtime. Uh, so you have no idea which way the AFC is going, uh, who the best team is. Uh, you can make an argument, obviously, strong for Kansas City right now, New England behind them. But after that, uh, every time you think you know which direction they're going in, it takes a turn. There's certainly no great team in the AFC, no matter how good Kansas City is. With their lack of defense, they can't be a great team. But they still gave the Pats a, a decent run. I mean, they didn't play well in the first half, and Patrick Mahomes missed a lot of throws. But you could easily at least maybe throw a couple pennies down and think, hey, we might see this again come the postseason, maybe come the AFC championship game. And that would be a fun back and forth because I think those are the two best teams in the AFC, hands down. You could argue the Ravens. I guess they're kind of making or trying to make a push. You never know with the Steelers, but, I mean, let's just go with what got us there in a sense as far as being a fan and seeing this story before. The Patriots are only going to get better on the offensive side. They're going to probably sign a couple people to help improve that defense. It's a matter of if the Chiefs can keep up with it. But if that defense gets better and the Chiefs have to have another shootout like they did in this past game, I don't know if they'll be able to do it just because I don't think their defense can match what New England's defense, I guess, you would think would be at that moment. They're going to have to make some adjustments clearly on defense. It's as simple as that. You know, I don't know if Bob Sutton is going to keep his job, uh, but they're going to have to make some uh, now, they also have been hit by injuries on the defensive side of the ball, uh, which has hurt them. But it seems like everybody has. But And New England, when they get it going, especially at home, they're tough to stop. We know that. You know, two weeks into the season, we said they're old. they got no weapons. Well, now all of a sudden they have weapons galore. You know, Josh Gordon is there. James White is what James White always is. Uh, the running back out of Georgia was a great draft pick, a kid I wanted the, desperately wanted the Ravens to draft. Uh you know, Edelman is back. Uh, 
You know, so all of a sudden now they have a bevy of weapons. Uh, and the old man, uh, you know, continues to get the job done. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's nothing that I didn't expect from New England. Uh, you know, the division doesn't stink totally. Uh, it's at best mediocre. Uh, the Jets playing better. Another nice win. Get to 500. Uh, the Dolphins, as I said before, huge win at 4-2. and two. The Bills, 2-4. and four. But you know, there's nobody that's going to challenge them uh, for the division title. So, uh, you know, they're, they're going to continue to be in the comfort zone that they've been in for, you know, the better part of, uh, of 15 years. And, you know, you go across into the NFC and what you thought would be some terrific teams, you know, continue to struggle. Uh, you know, Minnesota wins, but were they impressive against the Cardinals? I mean, uh, you know, were they really that impressive against the hideous Cardinals? Ugly. Uh, you wait to see where is the Minnesota we saw last year. Uh, it remains that the only real team uh, that seems to be at the top of their game every week uh, is the Rams. Plain and simple. New Orleans off week. Uh, you know, Kings of the South right now. Uh, Falcons finally win a game. And the East is a mess. You know, the, the world champs uh, pummeled the hideous Giants, the hapless, the hopeless, the lethargic Giants uh, in their own building. So, uh, you know, and in the in the north, just when you thought you were ready to grab onto the Bears, they lose to the Dolphins. We saw the hideous defense that, that is the Packers. Um, we talked about the I, I just brought up the Vikings, who to me are underachieving right now. Uh, so, to me, there's only real one. I don't want to call them great. One slam dunk in the NFC, and that continues to be the Rams. Well, how about this to quickly for once in our show close the NFL, at least for week six. You mentioned the Giants. There's five teams in the National Football League with a one and five record. 49ers, not as surprising once Jimmy G went down. The Cardinals, not really surprising with Sam Bradford and co. at quarterback. The Colts, which probably is my most surprising just because Andrew Luck is playing well. He just can't win football games despite doing so. The Raiders... They compete every... They, they, compete every they do. The Raiders, not as much of a surprise with John Gruden and a new coach and him not knowing that it's 2018 and maybe not 2008. And the Giants, one in five as well. Is there a team out of those five that surprises you that they're one in five? Or if we take a step back, is this almost kind of unfortunately expected for those teams? Well, we take San Francisco out of the mix because Jimmy G gets hurt. And they're also competing. All right. Uh, they are pretty much in the mix every week, even though, uh, you know, the uh, the backup quarterback is at the helm. He's got them competing and fighting hard uh, to their credit every week. The Raiders I, I just don't compete. I mean, the, the Raiders have been pathetic. Their performance Sunday against Seattle was embarrassing. Uh, they can't protect the quarterback. Uh, they can't move the football. Uh, they can't stop anybody. 
it, it, now they're talking about making wholesale changes. I, I don't know what the mindset is with John Gruden and company. I really don't. I don't know if it's because he can't get along with guys or guys don't want to play for him or what exactly the problem seems to be. But, you know, their quarterback is spending as much time on his back as his brother did when he came into the league. And, you know, the last couple of years that they had hoped to celebrate in Oakland that was so promising two years ago has turned into an absolute train wreck. Are you surprised that it took this long for the Giants' ownership to finally come out and tell Odell to talk less, catch more passes, and that Eli maybe isn't the best quarterback? Six games. That's all it took. Look, there was a time some 30 years ago where there was another player in this town who was a brilliant talent, a, a, a Hall of Famer to be, who was in his prime, and he was playing for the Yankees. And he didn't talk much, uh, but his performance on the field at times uh, was less than 100%. And I'll never forget the day that uh, the Pope... Mike Francesa spent his entire program taking calls on Ricky Henderson. And it was simply, you called in, keep him or trade him. Keep him or trade him. And that was the show. Uh, and that was the time frame where Ricky Henderson was a malingerer, uh, was still a brilliant player, but was not doing anything and everything he could to help the Yankees because when Ricky Henderson did do anything and everything he could, he was an absolute one man gang. And it translates to this player because Odell Beckham Jr. is a brilliant talent um, who just can't shut up his antics on the sideline his yakking off the field becomes such a distraction, disrespectful to teammates. And this is a guy who's won nothing. Uh, he hasn't had Ricky Henderson's career at the same stage. Uh, it's a guy who continues to drop passes in the postseason in big spots uh, and is always calling other people out. And said this is where he wanted to be and wanted the big contract. And when they ask him, you know, are you happy in New York? His response is, it's a tough question. <laughs> it's a tough question. You're making a boatload of money. You're playing for the New York football giants, and they've made you the focal point of the franchise. It's a tough question. Uh, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing here? You know, I mean, the antics, are, they just grow tiresome. It's childish. It's moronic. It's asinine to watch him salivating on the sidelines, talking to whatever inanimate object he's talking to. Uh, he's not even the best player on the team. I think that's pretty evident. The best player on the team is there. Is there? Is there? You know, their new toy. You know, th this kid is an absolutely electric running back.
who could score from anywhere on the field whenever he touches the ball. He plays hard on every play. He takes hits, two, three, four hits sometimes. And he looks like he is ready to give maximum effort all the time. And never have peep out of him. This other guy, he doesn't shut up. He's always bitching about something or somebody. And then it's time to drop a pass. Or, you know, it's time for antics on the sidelines. You know, I, I would trade his ass out of town as fast as I possibly could if I could get a, top, a you know, a, a number one pick in the front of the draft. You don't need him. You just don't need him. Well, two things. First is, did you call Mike show and weigh in on Ricky Henderson? Yeah, I said trade him. I said trade him. I remember, that was, 30, that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that was the time when the Yankees had all kinds of offense and no pitcher. Yeah, I mean, you're right. At the time, you could argue, and you, you wouldn't be wrong, they, they didn't really need him. They did, like you said, they needed pitching. They didn't need him. The second is regarding Odell and regarding Saquon. The story and who they want to pin Saquon as, because this is what we do now in 2018. If a player does well, they need a comparison in any league, really. The NBA, the MLB, you always find this, oh, he's like X, he's like Y. It's never he's, his, he's great. It's always he reminds me of or he looks like. The comparison that's been made with Saquon early on in his career, and by early I mean he's only been in six games, Barry Sanders. Which is great to hear if you're a Giants fan. I mean, Barry Sanders is one of the greatest running backs of all time that we've seen. When highlights of Barry Sanders come across Facebook or Twitter or wherever social media it comes across, I always watch. And it's still some of the same plays, but it's breathtaking to watch him in his highlights. He was one of the best. If you're comparing Saquon to Barry Sanders on the field, skill level-wise, that's great. But if you're comparing Barry Sanders to his career for the team, ooh, <laughs> that's not what you want. If you're comparing Barry Sanders to Saquon Barkley and you look at what he did for the team, ooh, there's not going to be a lot of success in New York if that's the comparison that you're bringing with Barry Sanders to Saquon Barkley because you're not getting that ring. And that's the only downfall of Barry Sanders was he was great. The Lions, though, were not. And if that's what you're looking at as far as a comparison goes, not to say that this is going to happen, but it is if you probably stick with Eli. And then you're going to ask a new quarterback to come in, say, after one more year with Eli. It's going to take him a while to find his footing, as it does for most NFL quarterbacks. Four or five years before you can really say this is a championship contender, I would say, right? I, I mean, that's a rough comparison if you're looking at the team aspect, not just the field aspect. Well, I, I think the real question is going to be uh, not that uh, was he the right player because he was the best player of the draft. I thought he was the best player in the draft, uh, and I think they, they will not be disappointed. Uh, I don't think he's comparable to Barry Sanders because he's bigger, he's stronger. Uh, he may be even faster. Um, and I don't think he's going to be the kind of runner that's, you know, get, have hit, hit for losses. Uh, you know, Sanders was 
you know, a great runner, you know, lose two, gain seven, uh, lose three, gain one, lose five, gain 60. He was a brilliant player. I actually think Barkley is, is a chance to be a Hall of Fame player, plain and simple. Um, he has so much talent in all aspects of what he does. Running back, receiver out of the backfield, excellent blocker picking up the plus, can outrun people, can run by people, leaves people literally grasping at air uh, with his ability uh, to move his feet. He's just a wonderful athlete. And I have no problem with the fact that they drafted him. Um, Cause I, I think the way it's going to wind up working is not the way they planned. They're going to be so bad this year that uh, they're going to be able to be at the top of the draft and get the quarterback of their choice. Now the question really for me, it's the way this is going to pan out. I, is the quarterback they're going to wind up with next year better than the quarterback they could have drafted this year? Right. But the bottom line is they would have Saquon Barkley. So is the coming quarterback at Saquon Barkley better than Sam Darnold? That's really the question. And that remains to be seen because we don't know who they're going to draft, but I I can guarantee you they're going to be in the top of the draft and they're going to have a chance for a quarterback because the rest of the teams in the top of the draft don't need quarterbacks. Look around the league. Uh, everybody's taking quarterbacks. The funny part for them, I, I mean, as an outsider, not as a fan, is they thought they were going to win this year. That's why they drafted Saquon Barkley. Right. That's why they right. took an offensive lineman. Right. They thought, right. we're going to roll out these new guys and we're going to be a playoff contender. We're going to push for a championship. Absolutely hilarious for them to think that way. And you're right, it might work out where they're so bad this year, they can draft that quarterback next year. And you're right again with, will he be better than who they could have taken this year? That remains to be seen. And so, I don't know who they wanted either. I don't either. It's, that, that's the other thing. I exactly. Mean, you know, did, did, did they pass on Darnold because they wanted Mayfield? Right. Would they have taken Mayfield? He was available. You know, all, all I heard all along is that they, they were taking Barkley. And I thought it was a terrific pick. Um, because he's a great player, and I thought he was, again, I, I truly believe he was the best player in the draft. But he may not have been the best player for them at the time. But, you know, if you're going to commit to Eli Manning, then you, you can't take a quarterback if you're going to commit to Eli Manning and pass on him. Can't do it. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. They're about two years too late in committing to Eli and not going after the quarterback, but I understand why they would, and I understand Giants fans in arguing why they would. I know he's won them two Super Bowls. I know it's Eli Manning, but... Sometimes the hardest thing about sports, and especially from the ownership and managerial standpoint, is having to take a step back and be like, we can't go by the name, we have to go by the numbers, let's see what we have here, and they've yet to do that, and they're still not doing it, and looks like they're going to ride him out to the end of the season. All I can say for the Giants is don't waste it, because you know, the way the NFL is going now especially, 
when it comes time to pay that man, Saquon's going to ask for that money. And I don't blame him for doing so at all. He deserves it. But you're going to ask for a pretty penny if you want him to stick around. It seems like the teams that can find these running backs in the later rounds that don't have to pay them can be lucky in getting those first couple years under their belt with the guys that aren't asking for money. You have them on the rookie deal, and they could win you a championship or at least get you close to it. He's going to want his money, and he's due it. So we'll see what happens when those years roll around. It's going to be interesting to see what he thinks he's worth, especially we'll see what happens with this whole Le'Veon Bell situation. What a headache that's, that's for, for teams, for owners, and for players. That's we'll see. A complete, that's a complete fiasco. We'll see. I, I can't believe for Le'Veon Bell, and, and we haven't heard the official statement yet because this is Tuesday, but we're heading into the bye week with the Pittsburgh Steelers. This was the week that he was supposed to come back, or at least report back, not even have to play, just report back. And he would have got more than $800,000, as far as I know. And we haven't heard a thing yet. I don't know how you can just leave that money on the table. And he's left millions on the table by holding out. I get where he's coming from, but it's hard to see where he's coming from at the same token because there's so much money left on the table by not reporting especially this week in a buy where you could get paid to literally just come in for a day sign a piece of paper and walk out I I don't understand it I don't know where he thinks he's going to make all this money back from when his next deal you never make it you're you're never going to make it back you never make it back and you're running back you're not a quarterback why leave that money on the table you've got the shortest shelf life you never make it back. That's why, you know, if you're an agent representing these guys, you know, it's, it's a sin. It's a crime. You're doing them a disservice if you hold them out. On a lighter note, and I mean our wallets to the six-pack. And for new listeners, that's where we pick three from college football and three from the NFL and try to pick them correctly, though that doesn't always go the way that we wanted. Al, we can start with you. How'd you do in college this week? In college, uh, you know, I put the kibosh on Auburn. I figured, you want to know what? They're playing Tennessee, <laughs> the worst team in the SEC. This is a good bounce back week for Auburn. I laid a big number, 15, and lo and behold, of course, Auburn loses that game outright, all right? Uh, and Tennessee gets their first win in, in, in the SEC this year. Uh, so that got me off to a pitiful start. But bounced back uh, with the Oregon Ducks. Three and a half. Uh, who won in overtime in a yes. back-and-forth game, a topsy-turvy game, uh, where they won in OT against Washington. And my third game was also a W, uh, but I can't remember what it was. Texas A&M, minus that's two right. and a half. I, th- that's right. A&M, it looked like yes. it was a it, it, it was a deceiving win. All right? right. I'm not going to say I was luckier because you know, laying two and a half, they won by a field goal, but they were up uh, and relatively in control of that game the entire second half. Uh, they were up 10. That was a South Carolina touchdown that cut it to three. Uh, and I won that game by a hook. So I go two and one, which is like the equivalent of somebody else going 27 and out. 
<laughs> yeah, but enjoy the two and a half because I would kill for that, especially this week in particular with one of the games that I picked. The first one was Pittsburgh plus 21. I mean, I, I don't know who decided that would be a good line. Pittsburgh and Notre Dame combined six out of their seven matchups. The past six out of seven have been decided by a few, uh, seven points or less. Even though they haven't played in a couple of years up until this game, it's always close. And as we know, Pittsburgh loves these like upset the two-ranked team, the three-ranked team, the four-win team as, as a team themselves. They love these upset opportunities, especially on the road. They've done it to Clemson. They've done it to Miami. The list goes on and on. Did it to Syracuse two weeks ago. Exactly. And I didn't need them to win this game. Plus 21. Right, exactly. Sweet Lord. I mean, that kid French returns that kickoff 99 yards to start the second half. Pittsburgh goes up, I think, at that point, 13-6, whatever. It was like 35-6 to at the time with the 21 points. We were in the clear. There, there wasn't even a question. And they almost won that game. A terrible fake punt decision in the fourth quarter really put the game out of reach. With Notre Dame's defense on the field, Pat Narduzzi decides, nah, we're running this fake punt. Terrible idea. With somebody that wasn't even on most rosters. They just pulled this like third string quarterback off the field, <laughs> off the sideline and decided to throw him into one of the biggest plays of the game. Didn't work out, but the plus 21 did. So whoever had that well done, my joke for the plus three and a half or the minus three and a half would have come in handy or two and a half. I should say for the Virginia tech Hokies who were given the minus six and a half and won by a field goal, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So that that was where I could have used that 2.5. And Wisconsin plus 10, what a shit show that turned out to be in Michigan. I, I mean, I was just going by Wisconsin at the time that the season started and in the first couple weeks were in the discussion to make the college football playoff. Michigan had that early ugly loss. That's really what I went by. I didn't go by the now. Michigan's the better team. It was and now ba- and now back in that discussion. Exactly. In they in a flip of the switch, discussion. they're back in that discussion. And we'll get into just briefly college football. This was the week of hey, all you one loss teams, welcome back into the fold, folks. <laughs> the, 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 I, I always root for LSU and Coach O. Uh, because I love watching games in Death Valley. Uh, I was rooting hard for them. I did not expect them to beat Georgia. Uh, rarely do you see a, a coach's decision play that big a role in a game, but I thought Kirby Smart's decision at 3-0 uh, with his great field goal kicker lined up for a gimme field goal to try a fake field goal just turned that game totally on its end and from that point on, it was all LSU. I mean, it was basically an even game. They went down the field. Georgia came back, went down the field. He tries to fake field goal. Georgia, excuse me, LSU is not fooled in any way, shape, or form. And boom, you could have turned your sets off there. Uh, I mean, LSU just dominated the rest of the way. They ran the ball. They threw the ball. They completely shut Georgia down on third down. And next thing you know, a team that everybody thought was – a slam dunk Final Four team uh, just gets its head handed to them in Death Valley. And now LSU is right back in the mix after that loss at Florida Field 
but of course that <laughs> Alabama comes to call in very shortly in, in their murderous schedule. To the NFL, how did you do there? Well, we went mano a mano. Uh, so that's, that's really... Which usually isn't good. <laughs> for me, for me. Uh, so th- that, that was the apple of my eye uh, in taking uh, my Ravens. For the second week in a row, uh, I just had a feeling uh, that they would bounce back. Usually those feelings are, are always wrong. But in this case, um, it was they, close. Have, two and a half, please. They, 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 they absolutely <laughs> dismantled uh, the most boring team in football. I've always found it uh, odd that Marcus Mariota was such an exciting player. Uh, obviously, having something to do with the offense that he was, uh, the scheme he was in with, uh, with Chip Kelly. But as a NFL quarterback, he is one of the most dullest quarterbacks running the offense from hunger. Uh, I mean, they're literally like watching paint dry. There isn't a more boring team in football to watch than the Tennessee Titans. And they just got mauled uh, 11 sacks uh, by the Ravens, a team record. Yeah, I was going to say, say that again. 11, 11 sacks. 11 sacks. How many no completions did Marcus no Mariota have? He had 10 completions. Do. 10 completions, no, 11 sacks. Dear God. With no roughing the passer, which is roughing the passer in this day and age, yep. which is next to impossible to do. So I won that one. I lost by a hook, uh, and I wasn't ranting on the Vikings before because uh, I took a minus 10 and a half. Uh, I, I was ranting on them because I thought they would win that game uh, by a lot more than they did. Uh, I couldn't care less about the play, uh, but they did cost me uh, with uh, laying the 10 and a half, winning 27-17. And, again, what was my final play? It was so long ago. Falcons, minus I'm three. I'm trying to remember. And the Falcons actually came, came through for me because I just figured it's a kill or be killed week for them. Yeah. I mean, they, they got to win a game or, or their season's over. And, uh, lo and behold, they get way ahead early and uh, famous uh, Jameis brings Tampa Bay back and almost pulls a rabbit out of a hat. And they decide to go with a Matt Bryan 57 yard field goal, which, if he misses, is going to leave Tampa basically a first down away right. from a game winning field goal. So that's how much he trusted his defense. Uh, so he kicks the field goal, uh, attempts the field goal, he makes the 57 yarder to get the lead up uh, to uh, outside of a field goal. So it requires them to go to the length of the field and get a touchdown to beat them, which they can't do. So Atlanta finally uh, wins a game uh, with a ton more offense, and I get a cover there. So like in college, I, by hook or by crook, go 2-1 and one for a 4-2 and two week, which for me is, is, again, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, and you're just – shoving that in my face because it was easy to go the opposite way. And that's what I decided to do. (laughs) Not only going the opposite way by fading the Ravens, thinking that the Titans would pull that off at home with two and a half, thinking that they might be able to be okay. They might win by a field goal. No, no, it was not even close as you mentioned. 
the Panthers minus one thinking, hey, get the win and we at least push. Cam Newton at the end of that game looked like he was your younger brother playing Madden video game and just pressing the button at the wrong time when his receivers hadn't made the route yet, throwing way over their heads. A terrible look for the last three passes that he threw in that game when they needed him to do so. They take an ugly loss to the Redskins. I was on the Dolphins plus six. They end up winning outright with Brock Osweiler as their quarterback. Mother of mercy, God bless the Chicago Bears and Billy Zimmerman for that. Terrible look for them. As we mentioned, though, at the beginning of our NFL discussion, you you can't put a finger down on pretty much all of these teams. And we saw that there with the Bears, even the Falcons having a battle back against the Bucks. It's just going to be one of those years, it seems, where you're not really going to know what a team looks like until the last couple weeks of the season. And even then, it'll be up in the air. But an ugly week for me on the gambling side, which is par for the course, as we'll learn as these weeks go on out. Well, hey, that's it for the show. And we'll be back to our usual Monday night time slot next week. Got pushed back a little bit this week for vacations, but got to talk about Monday night football for once. Thankfully, we'll get to talk about playoff baseball and World Series baseball when we come we'll back We'll be talking next about week. World Series Very baseball exciting. and the opening of the, the association. That's right. Once next week comes, we'll have seen all the teams. We can get very way too early predictions out of the way, but it should be well, a great show next week. We can make our assessments week. for who's going to be in the finals, you know, in the conference finals. We could do that off of you know three or four days worth of games easily. Very excited for next week. Hey, we might even throw a couple games into our pick six segment if you guys are lucky. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to some World Series chatter. Fingers crossed for a Astros, I don't care, out of the NLCS series. The next time we speak, the World Series will be at hand. Enjoy the baseball and your sports week. Take care, everybody. Johnny, always a pleasure. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>